The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Na, 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 come on. On this episode of the Heat Check, the second round of the playoffs is already here. We are ready. Oh, that's fucked up. We already got drama. As Draymond gets tossed from game one, his flagrant two is not getting reversed. The Grizzlies lose a heartbreaker to the Warriors. Bucks are still underdogs, even though they slammed and humbled the Celtics. Sixers start the series without Embiid for God knows too long. And this might mean another early exit in Philly. Out in the West, the Mavs and the Suns get underway with a healthy Luka and a healthy Devin Booker. So before we uh, get into it, Brock, just drop that motherfucking beat. second round of the playoffs. I just love the playoffs so much. We are already loaded with drama. Let's start out with the East, with the favored Celtics taking on the champs. Someone tell me, riddle me this, how are the defending champions, underdogs, in any situation in the East? I don't know. I don't understand it. Houseway. I know Middleton is injured. I know it. I'm aware of this. But this is Giannis. Like, Giannis is a different cat. He's not Steph Curry. He's not, you know, Kevin Durant. He's not even LeBron James. Like, this is a guy who is largely offensively, defensively unstoppable. And then a bunch of other guys who make his job easier. Please make it make sense. Let's let's look at the regular season record between the Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks for a second because I've been just wrapping my brain around how Vegas could make these odds the way that they are. Celtics, 2-2, two and two, so they split against the Bucks this year. And thought maybe without with Chris, the Celtics would be favored. Here's the thing, though. The Celtics beat a Giannis-less Bucks without Giannis in overtime in November, in overtime. And Dennis Schroeder, who the fuck does Dennis Schroeder think he is? Dennis Schroeder had 38 in that game. They then beat the Bucks during the point in time where the Bucks didn't give a fuck about basketball. Like December, like that part where it's like not quite trade deadline season, all-star breaks a while away, and let's be honest, 
The Bucks already won this damn thing. They don't need to push to win every single game. The last two times that they played the Celtics, the Bucks beat them at home twice, 117-113, and then at the end of the season beat them 127-121. So to recap, the Celtics never beat the Bucks without Dennis Schroeder. Not like a tremendous like piece of information, but there is no Dennis Schroeder in this matchup. He's gone now. He's been traded. And they never beat them in Milwaukee. And they only beat him once with Giannis. And, listen, when you have Dennis Schroeder coming off the bench and he's giving you 40, that's not insignificant. And, and like, let's also be honest about what Milwaukee's doing. They don't, they've realized they don't need to win 60 games in order to win the championship. Like, they no longer have to prove to the world that Milwaukee's on the map. Milwaukee's very firmly on the map. They decided we're going to low manage, we're going to coast. Just, it doesn't matter. One through six, we're fine. We don't, we don't need to be the number one seed. We don't you need ESPN to put us 92.7% to make the finals. Like, it's fine. Put us a three seed, put us a six seed. As long as we don't have to play in the play-in tournament, we're good. And, and that's, like, pretty much a matchup problem for anyone. I tell you what, as a better as a gambler, I could not run fast enough to the window when I saw that Vegas gave me the Bucks at plus 175 for them to win the series. You're talking about almost two to one money for the Bucks, for the defending champions to beat the Celtics, who have been good for like two seconds. Like, what are we talking about here? The fact that the Nets got swept has now put, I don't know, like it's like, uh, a pill everyone has taken, like, oh, you beat the Nets? Oh, and now you're the now you're the favorites. Like there's they should have never been the Nets should have never been the favorites. Like they are not good. I can't say this as stress is large enough. You're here, Brock. You I've been screaming this from the mountaintops since October. Plus one seventy five? Giannis Antetokounmpo? He's a 30, 15, and 5 guy. How? And he's hitting free throws now? What? Then I, okay, then I double back. And I was like, what? I get him plus four and a half? What? Did that? Then I double back again live. What? They're up and I'm still getting him plus two and a half? What? Then I'm like, okay, well now the, the they're like probably going to score 180 points. What, I can get under 196 total points? Like this is a defensive like matchup. Give And like, no matter how much we give props to Boston and their defense, like, do not sleep on the Bucks' defense. They've got guys who just, like, cut your legs out. Grayson Allen. <laughs> Grayson Allen and Marcus Smart is the matchup you didn't know you needed. Yeah. Like, the Bucks are stifling. Brooke Lopez, one of the best rim protectors in the league, nobody speaks about him. Nobody even utters his name. They're just like, oh, no, Miss, no, Miss Christopher, Christopher Middleton? What? No Chris with a K? Obviously, then the Bucks. Well, look what? What are you talking about? And then, okay, then the Bucks, of course, do exactly what I thought, which is like they should win this game, let alone like four, be four and a half point dogs. Headline: Boston hit in the mouth, out muscled by Milwaukee Bucks in physical game one. Tell me how that changes. How like is Chris Middleton a part of the out muscling? I don't think so. Like, nobody's ever said, like, Chris Middleton bully ball. Like, never. 
Moving forward with or without Middleton, I'm not sure anyone outmuscles Milwaukee in the NBA. Like, period. Even Phoenix couldn't do it. That's why they had to figure out a way to get other centers involved because one center is not enough. You'll just get into foul trouble. And, like, then you've got DeAndre Ayton sitting his ass on the bench because he got four fouls in the first quarter. Now you got to roll out Frank Kaminsky. Like, let me just, if you don't know Frank Kaminsky, just the way that I say his name, he's been cut. He's been cut already. They've got JaVale McGee now. They've got Bismack Miambo now. They've got a plethora of depth in case, really just for this scenario. Really just because Giannis and Brooke are a problem. And for game two, Milwaukee is yet again, somehow, inexplicably, the line has not moved a must, like, a, um, like anything. It's four and a half again. Take it. If you're above age and you've got sports betting legal to you, like, take that. I don't, I don't care that they're going to make adjustments. All of them will. And somebody needs to explain to me how in game two is going to go different than game one. Everybody's like, oh, well, the Celtics, they just shot so bad. They were just so bad. Like, they can't possibly shoot as bad as they did. They were just chucking from everywhere. They shot 50 times from three. They shot 50 times from the three-point line. They can't possibly be that bad. They shot 18 for 50. By the way, percentage-wise, that's actually better than they've shot all year long. Their season-long three-point percentage is 35.6% from deep. So tell me exactly how this changes. They shot 10 for 34 in the paint. How do you fix that? You got two guys, Giannis and Brooke. Where, how are you going to spread them out? You gonna put them on the perimeter somehow, stretch them out. You got what? You got fucking Time Lord on like on the three point line. Get out of here. Who is who is going into the paint? How are you gonna stop that? Here's what Jalen Brown said after the game. We've got to be smarter. In game one, we weren't. So we look at it. We learn from it. We come better. The back for the next game. We shot a lot of threes tonight. A lot of them great looks. We understand that's what they want us to do. So we're going to figure it out. Why do you think they want you to do that? Because you're not good at it. Like, so smarter is not going to get you taller. Like, you can be as smart as you want, but they're seven feet tall. And Giannis is like 275. So, listen, you made the exact number of threes your record suggests that you're going to make moving forward. You're going to shoot 60 of them now? The bottom line is this. The Celtics were crowned way too early. And I like the Celtics. If they weren't facing the Bucks, maybe they'd face the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals and then they would go to sleep to the Bucks then instead of now. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know why we get into these trends of like, well, you beat the king, you took the king down, and now you've got the crown. Like, first and foremost, like, the emperor had no clothes. Like, so you guys just kept thinking like maybe if uh, we keep saying that they have clothes on that the Nets are going to be like a real team they're just never have been never will be they had no depth and just because the Celtics beat them didn't mean that they ended up getting any more respect than what they are they're they're in a matchup disadvantage with or without Chris Middleton let me ask you this what happens if Chris Middleton was in the series then it's like I mean it was a dominating performance they were up largely the whole game by double digits with their number two score out. Mm. Yeah, you have Marcus Smart banged up. He's not going to not be banged up because he's dealing with 
Drew Holiday and Grayson Allen and Bobby Portis in his goggles. Like, that's what this is going to be. So, I know. And you've got Jalen Brown with a lingering hammy as well. Like, I don't know what you want me to say, but if you're a better, just go ahead and keep hammering the Bucks and take that shit to the bank. Because the Bucks look like right now they're going back to the finals and it's probably going to seven with the Suns. And then, like, honestly, quite honestly, my heart will be broken, but it feels like the Bucks are going to win it again. Giannis is the best player on the planet. He is unguardable. And thus, the Bucks. I, can, I cannot imagine them being stopped. Uh, let's move forward with another amazing series that has begun. Lord, Warriors versus Grizzlies, what I would call the Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man, two superstar guards, like physicality all over, guys who are just gritty with, you got Dylan Brooks, you got Desmond Bain, you got Draymond Green, and Draymond Green's, Steven Adams is in health and safety protocols, I can't wait for him to return, series is 100% going seven games, how do I know that, game one told me everything that I need to see, to predict, that these teams really aren't separated by much. Either team goes up 13, does not matter. They can score in an instant. They can get very shaky in an instant on both sides uh, of the teams. Two very evenly matched competitors. Game one was pretty much exactly like we predicted. Very gritty, incredibly tight, dozens of lead changes, big-time game-winning shots, big-time go-ahead shots, bodies hitting the floor, ejections, game-winning shot followed by a potential game-winning miss, a, like Draymond Green hitting someone, like as per usual. And so let's talk about this Draymond ejection for a second because me and Draymond have had our own little thing back and forth, jawing. But this is what happened. It happened when he got into a battle with Brandon Clark, small five, killing, who fell to the ground with Draymond holding on to his jersey like it was um, the safety bar at a, at a, on a roller coaster, just hanging on tight, just trying to stay in that little chair of death. And so then they called it a flagrant two. You're ejected. He's out of the game right before the second quarter. Draymond decided he was going to address it. I want to play that for our folks. I am dumb enough to think that it would not even be a flagrant one that, you know, the the playoffs are a little tougher and not as soft as the regular season, you know, and that, um, you know, you can, you can bump a little more and you get away with a little more, you know, like I think tonight uh, was probably a reputation, a reputation thing more so than um, a hard foul. By definition, if we go through the, definition of a flagrant two foul I'm not sure that that play would quite be the definition of a flagrant foul I'm not sure it would meet that criteria first and foremost you you dragged him onto the ground it was like considered a body slam so yeah that's going to be a flagrant one probably not a flagrant two here's the issue uh, the league is now not going to reverse it. Now Draymond Green has two flagrant points, uh, which four makes it a one-game suspension. So one more of these little antics, you're out for an entire game. 
And if it was reduced, then Draymond only gets one flagrant point, which would give him more wiggle room in case he does that shit again, and then he has another flagrant point to wiggle with. The Grizzlies' response to the ejection, pretty much a big, like, who cares? Brandon Clark says, yeah, he's been known for this in his career. Like, flagrant fouls is, is his thing. I've watched them on TV my entire life. Not shocking that he would do that. But the thing that I, I think a lot of fans may be missing is that the Draymond Green ejection might have actually helped the Warriors. The Warriors at one point in time were down 12 points while Draymond Green was in the game. Draymond Green is a matchup issue because of Jaron Jackson, because of Brandon Clark. Draymond Green's a a tremendous competitor and one of the best defenders in the game. But losing him was like a splash, cold water, and a little bit of gasoline. They were like fucking zombies out there. Uh, Grizzlies were out to an early lead. They were in transition. Warriors look shook. Memphis is rocking. Steph's missing shots. Everyone's missing shots. Clay then said, as soon as Draymond went out, we ended up having extra motivation and the team played the rest of the game hopping mad. Like that's a level of intensity that you don't get when Draymond's still there. Like, by the way, Grizzlies were up one point, one point, one minute, 12 seconds left in the in the first half when Draymond got ejected. Like I said, they were up by as much as 12 with Draymond in the game. But the m- most important thing about this game, where I'm thinking this could go seven, and I'm also concerned about the Grizzlies' poise, we need to talk about that last 36 seconds for a second. Let me set it up for you. Down one point, Grizzlies ball. John Morant has it. 36 seconds to go. Grizzlies have a two-for-one opportunity because of the shot clock, right? You got to get a quick bucket. They have a full 24, and you still have time left to get a bucket in case either they don't hit one or they do. You can't have them have the ball, then you got to play the foul game, etc. Jaw, that's that's the standard two-for-one. That's the standard. That's what you're supposed to do. Ja, who I love, by the way, so no shade to Ja, took a full 20 seconds just to get a layup that fucking got blocked by Steph Curry, who's known as a poor, piss-poor defender in the league, where he's saying, I shut him down. He's literally shit-talking Ja, like, yeah, I stopped that shit. He blocked you. Took you 20 seconds to get blocked. Then you... You then wait to foul. You take a full seven seconds to then foul because you've literally wasted all the time. Now they can just run out the clock. They're up. You take 11 seconds to do, seven seconds to do that. That brings the clock down to 11 seconds left in the game. But you had a foul to give, which you must have not known or you would have fouled immediately. Then you take another full five seconds to foul to send Clay Thompson to the free throw line. 90% free throw shooter. Dumb shit. Thankfully, Clay Thompson misses them both. You get a jump ball because you tipped the ball out of bounds on his free throw misses. You probably shouldn't even gotten the ball at that point. Then as soon as you get the jump ball, there's 4.2 seconds left in the game. You call a timeout. Somehow the refs give you 3.6 seconds. You don't Challenge that, contest that, inexplicable. They're even talking about it on the broadcast. Now you got 3.6 seconds left, and you're down one. Okay, then what do you do? 
all of a sudden we draw up a play for John Morant coming from behind half court? Being fully guarded with the full head of steam, which is the whole point, is that we want to get jaw like a pseudo in transition. He only has 3.6 seconds left, folks. The shot quality is going to be not so good. You're basically hoping that he gets fouled. By the way, John Morant, not so good of a clutch free throw shooter either. What is this mess? Like, maybe one of the biggest 36-second messes I've ever seen. They still had the ability to win that game. There's just, this is where they thrive normally, Memphis. Tough situation. Memphis has now lost their home court advantage. Uh, you know, Golden State thinks that they have a leg up because they did it without Draymond. Confidence levels are high. Just no predicting where this goes. Would not shock me, though, if Steven Adams and Draymond Green get into it. Steven Adams, by the way, for folks who don't remember, got into it with Draymond when he was in OKC and they had those intense battles with KD Russ and Steven Adams. He kicked Steven Adams in the in the Adams apples uh, like multiple times in the little like uh, twigs and berries. So this is gonna be firework prediction time because I they say I'm a Golden State hater. Grizzlies in seven. Figure it out, Grizzlies. Fucking. Out for at least two games in their second round series against the Miami Heat. This is massive. 30 points per game, 12 rebounds per game, up to 10 assists per game. This is a team that would struggle to make the play-in tournament without Joel Embiid in the East. Now they face Miami Heat, team that is extremely physical, by the way. As soon as Joel Embiid comes back, that thumb issue isn't going away. Uh, They have multiple guys that can score on the perimeter, defend on the perimeter. They're... A lot of role players that are going to come in, give you good minutes. Even without Kyle Lowry, who's not playing in game one. Even if Jimmy Butler misses time, which he will play in game one. Like you've got Victor Oladipo, you've got Gabe Vincent, you've got Caleb Martin, you've got Max Struess. you got a bunch of guys that the casual fans never even heard of that might get you 25. Didn't even mention Duncan Robinson. Didn't mention Tyler Hero. This is a nightmare. The Woj bomb is that there's, this is the bomb. This is the sound of the Woj bomb. Uh, there is optimism that the Sixers can get Joel back as early as Game 3 or Game 4. Excuse me, pause. As early as? Like, that doesn't inspire me. That doesn't give me optimism. You could be already down 3-0 by then. If you don't think Doc Rivers is a good coach when he's up 3-0, how do you think he's going to be down 3-0? So much scoring now has to fall on a guy who hasn't been elite in two and a half, three years. Hasn't been elite before the word. Like, the last time James Harden was elite was before we knew what social distancing was. Like, we didn't even know the word COVID. That's the last time Harden was Harden. Now, he's ecstatic that he lost, left Houston because he had to shoulder the burden. He went to the Nets where he's like, well, I got Kyrie and KD. Awesome. I don't have to shoulder... Wait, then KD goes down, Kyrie does Kyrie things, then he bolts. He's like, I now get Joel Embiid. I don't want to be the number one scoring option. And now, when the lights are bright, James Harden, playoff Harden comes to play with all of the scoring burden on his shoulders once again with less explosiveness, less athleticism, and 20 more pounds. 
What do you fucking think's gonna happen? I don't know. Does it take a scientist or a mathematician? Like, I don't even know why I'm giving this take. It's so obvious. Poor James Harden. Like, poor J- Everywhere he goes, the world crumbles around him. And it's, like, largely still on him somehow. I don't know. And, like, Tyrese Maxey, he's such a, a volatile player. Love little Tyrese. Like, his braids are, are shaking all over the place because he's so erratic. I love him. But if you're thinking that he's going to be the guy in high-pressure moments at 20, whatever he is, he's young. He's inexperienced. He's chucking. We're now relying on Tobias and Danny Green. Listen, I don't know what to say. If we see the James Harden we saw in game six in the first round against Toronto, maybe they compete. Maybe they can even steal a game. James Harden in that game, 22 points, 7 of 12, 6 rebounds, 15 assists. He's going to need at least that stat line. I think probably 35 points, 8 rebounds, 18 assists needs to be the stat line. But if he is not, this series might be over in four. Prediction time. I think Joel Embiid comes back, gets one, Miami in five. Let's talk Suns-Mavericks. Another series I think could go to the distance. I think it's another one of those situations where the underdog is getting significantly undervalued. Mavericks, five-and-a-half-point underdogs. Like, the Pelicans weren't five-and-a-half-point underdogs, and there's a team that went 1-12 and to start the season. Like, you've got Luka Doncic. Like, what are we talking about here? Jalen Brunson gives you 20. Luka gives you 30. Spence can give you 20. Dwight Powell can give you 15. Maxi Kleba gives you 15, 17. Reggie Bullock gives you 15. I mean, what? This is like a very good defense that can switch things and be long and athletic and do all the things that that Phoenix can do. They just don't have Chris Paul. Like Jalen Brunson is basically their version of Chris Paul. Luke is their version of Devin Booker. Probably Spencer or Reggie Bullock is their version of Mikhail Bridges. Dwight Powell certainly no DeAndre Ayton, but... Okay, I guess that's the matchup issue, right? But he's still a very good defender and can rebound his ass off. So it's going to be tight. I love the idea of Chris Paul and Luka on the floor at the same time. I love the idea of, like, Chris Paul versus Jalen. Book versus Luka. Who's going to score more? Who's going to turn the ball over less? By the way, New York's awesome. You can same game, parlay, props. And, like, you can literally take, like, Chris Paul under two and a half turnovers and Jalen Brunson over probably one and a half turnovers at plus money. Just love that stuff. Mavs just keep getting better all month. Even without Luka, they were really good. With Luka, they basically dismantled the entire Jazz organization. Like the Jazz, I'm not even going to discuss this because we have too much to get to, but like the Jazz are in complete disarray right now. Like, we've got a situation where Rudy Gobert is telling the Jazz organization it's either Donovan Mitchell or me. And that is all because of the Mavs and a bee sting to his eye. So, do not sleep on the Mavericks. This thing could go seven. And also, a little shade alert, Jason Kidd was talking shit about the Jazz by complimenting the Sun Centers. You know how that whole thing goes. It's like a backhanded compliment, sort of. He goes, yeah, the difference between... um, the Suns and the Jazz, our last opponent, 
Yeah, the Suns can hurt you in the paint, JaVale and Ayton. This is not Rudy Gobert and Hassan Whiteside. Like, these guys actually can put the ball into the basket. Our bigs are going to be tested. Um, wow. Like, what? A, that's a real quote that I just wrote, read. So we're going to know a lot more about this series after the first game is in the books tonight. Move. If you got the nerve, lash out for your just desserts. It's not just a Last segment. It is our second to last winning time recap. As always, turn off the pod if you don't like spoilers. This is why it's at the end. You can catch us on the flippity flip if you haven't watched it. So it's all good. First and foremost, there are now three main plot lines. One, Jerry Buss, his mom dies in the middle of the playoff series. Tough. Second, like a really, really sad. Shows their relationship, how that changes his relationship with his daughter, Jeannie Buss. The fact that she's conflicted because she wants to take care of her grandmother. How her grandmother actually wants Jeannie to be independent because she's always relied on and cared for of men. Which is very interesting to me because Jeannie's never married. She's been with Phyllis Jackson on and off for a really long time. But she never really paired up and live for a man. She's Her entire life has been sort of kind of being like Jerry Buss, being single, being a bachelorette who's largely a businesswoman, which I find that to be fascinating. Also, the return of Jack McKinney and him trying to get back as being the head coach of the Lakers after, you know, stunningly almost losing his brain on the cement and him having memory issues while still being clearly the smarter coach but just not the coach with all of his uh, faculties if that makes sense and then another involving Spencer Haywood who is probably the most interesting player in NBA history the last time we talked about coach McKinney his running gun offense revolutionized the NBA and now he's like I can't express to you how important he is to Showtime Showtime doesn't exist without Jack McKinney And he's finally cleared to have his role again, which then now causes serious problems for Paul Westhead, his assistant, who's the interim head coach, and Westhead's assistant, Pat Riley, who McKinney wants no part of being on the bench. Pat Riley shouldn't be there, according to McKinney. He's got to fucking go. And if he wouldn't have said that, maybe they wouldn't have had these problems. McKinney thinks Paul Westhead stabbed him in the back and is trying to take his job and wants him gone. The problem is is that his brain's not right. He hasn't recovered fully from the bike accident just a couple of months ago, and he's got getting lost. He's forgetting people's names. There's a scene where Jerry Buss shows up at his doorstep. He doesn't even know it's Jerry Buss, and Buss is loyal. He wants to give him his job back. But when McKinney shows up with champagne... At his doorstep, he's like, special delivery for Jerry, for, for Jack McKinney. And Jack's like, hold on one second. Uh, wife, uh, there's a delivery at the door. Can you come? Hold on one second, sir. Uh, yeah, yeah, my wife can help, help you with that. He's like, yo, let me just back up. Pivot, sir, red alert, pivot time, pivot. And it's Westhead and Riley's title now to either win or lose. B story then revolves around Jerry's Buss's mom brilliantly playing by Sally Field, dying from cancer, so sad to watch. By all accounts, Jerry Buss and his mom incredibly close. The story of Jerry Buss and his mom being 
like being in abject poverty, hustling their way to the top. Like, but what is lost is just like I said, how much Jeannie Buss learned from her grandmother, especially when it comes to being a woman in a male-dominated business. And let's talk about Spencer fucking Haywood. You may not have heard of him, but he was voted into the Hall of Fame in 2015. He was a problem. 6'8", hard rock, sets tough screens from Mississippi, who was all grit on the boards and in the paint. Problem was, he did crack. Like, pretty much. (laughs) We're talking about a guy who sued the NBA in 1970 and won, allowing underclassmen for the first time to enter the draft. Yes, you would have no LeBron James without Spencer Haywood. No Kevin Garnett without Spencer Haywood. He was also married to Iman, the the iconic fashion model. How he pulled her, unknown. Unknown to me. He turned down Nike for a shoe deal that would have been worth over a billion dollars. Turned them down. He even performed an adult circumcision on himself with a razor and a rock. These are all true. These are all true things. What? Let me just say it again. Spencer Haywood doing crack, married to supermodel. Apparently she signed on for him to take a razor and a rock to his own fucking penis and shave off. I swear to God. That's not even relevant to the story. By 1979, he was a valuable player off the bench for the Lakers. But he was doing coke, he was doing crack, and he had been addicted to crack cocaine for years. And this leads to the greatest drama in the series to date because even more than the head coach nearly dying, then coming back, then being so out of his mind that Jerry Buss has to give the team to his assistants, one of which has no coaching experience, all he has is being next to Chick Hearn as an announcer. The Lakers now are in the finals with the Sixers. And guess what? Spencer Haywood gets back to the pipe. So bad, he shows up to practice the next day looking like Dave Chappelle in the fucking skit. Paul Westhead literally has to kick him off the team. During the NBA Finals, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, his really good friend, for, like fellow activist, is the deciding vote has to deliver the news to Spencer Haywood. The same week that the Lakers fire their head coach because he's cuckoo in the brain right now. That's not even the best part. The best part, which actually happens to be true, we know that as well because Spencer writes about it also in his autobiography, is when he gets kicked off the team, what does he do? Does he take it on the chin, decide to go to rehab, look inward, decide, yes, it is true, me, Spencer Haywood, I have a problem. No. He decides to take out a hit and kill the head coach of the Lakers. He hires someone to come to L.A. to try to cut the brakes on Paul Westhead. Let me recap this all for you. Spencer Haywood gets kicked off the Lakers for smoking crack during the NBA Finals 
then was so mad, he take, takes out a murder hit on his former head coach. He hires a mafia hitman to murder his head coach, and there's already been a mafia hit in the fucking season! This is unreal. I had to buy a copy literally so just so I could find a section where he talks about it. This is what he wrote. I left the forum and I drove off in my rolls that night thinking one thing. Not, damn, I fucked up. It was, Westhead's gotta die. <laughs> I drove through the streets plotting the man's murder. In the heat of anger and in the days of coke, I phoned an old friend of mine in Detroit, guy named Gregory, certified gangster. I said, come out here, buddy. I got someone I want you to take care of. He said, no problem, Wood. Love to do that for you. The next day, Greg and his partner flew out to L.A. ready to go to work. We sat down and we figured it out. Westhead lives in Palos Verdes, and we got his street address. We would sabotage his car and mess with his brake lining. Are you kidding me? And we are trying, we have people like Jerry West letting a little entertainment get in the way of the truth and the best series on television right now. Winning Time, folks, wraps up next Sunday. And God damn, how could it get any better? I am looking forward to it. That's all the time, folks. Wow. Like, let's just really fast, really fast before the close. Just let that sink in. Like, what? Like, first of all, you got your point guards having orgies, later contracting HIV. Your head coach isn't even your head coach. He's got, had a stroke. You're firing him. You fire them later Later in the finals. You fire him midway through. You got a guy on crack cocaine getting kicked off the team. He's your main role player big man helping Kareem Abdul-Jabi. Like, and then he decides he's going to kill the head coach who's not even the real head coach. He's the interim. Why don't we know about this already? Like, why hasn't there already been a film? Anyway, that's all the time that we have for the Heat Check. We'll be back in a couple of days with a new episode. Follow us as we get deeper and deeper into the playoffs. Do not forget to download, subscribe, tell your friends every damn one. Follow us on social at This Heat Check and Trista Crick on TikTok and on Twitter.